0: Well, welcome everybody back to the CSF curriculum podcast where we dive into these key passages that we are looking at. And each week here, we're going to have a different guest that has spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of prayers, reading, thinking, studying, indeed praying through these passages. And we have our good friend, Gene Parr, again, who is going to help us tackle Daniel 1. And so, Gene, let me start off by asking you this. This is a 2,600-year-old story at this point. I mean, we're talking 600 years before the birth of Jesus why study a passage that's 2,600 years old? What, what can it possibly mean for us today?
1: Right. There's this old saying that uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, one of the things you wouldn't expect is to open up the Old Testament and uh, find out about four guys who go to a secular university and uh, and are, are are living in a in a relatively pagan uh, environment, uh, which is how we might describe some state universities in the United States. Uh, We also wouldn't uh, expect to find a story where the leader of the country is not really being as faithful as they ought to, and so it means that the citizens of the country who are doing life with God, that they have to be even more careful to be obedient. But that's exactly what we find in this story.
0: So wait, you're telling me that all our leaders in America, you know, state, national, they're not all followers of Jesus, following him perfectly.
1: Um, Only like a few out of 10.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and, yeah, a university like UK or like, you know, uh, you know, University of Tennessee or Texas or whatever. Yeah. uh, Great points. Well, when a student
1: student leaves home and they leave their family, and and they they go to another city or another state and 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 they go to school that's kind of exactly what's happening to Daniel and his uh, little posse here mm-hmm.
0: yeah they've left what behind what's comfortable what they know where the where the stories and rules are kind of tailored around them to now they're in this uh they're in a different stream here for sure well what is it i mean Obviously, you've spent a lot of time with this passage. What is it about this passage that besides just, hey, this looks kind of relevant to us, it looks like, hey, they're in a place of learning, a place where uh, that the rules and the, and the the just the environment isn't what they're used to. And, and obviously you've got leaders who they're going, we don't line up with the values of our leaders. What is it that get you really excited that when you start studying this and you started thinking about and obviously you've been thinking about this passage for years, I know I've heard you talk about it a long time. What what Help us dive in a little bit more.
1: Okay, this is a hero story. Hmm. These are some guys that step up and and really become men of God in a situation where everything is pushing against them for them not to walk with God, and in a in a very uh, sort of passively hostile uh, environment, and later on even actively ho- hostile, as we get later on into to Daniel, we find that these guys, through prayer and through the fellowship, the community of these four guys, they figure out what it would be to walk with God in a post-Jewish, post-Christian pagan society.
0: Yeah, so let's help set this up a little bit historically. How did they get themselves in this position? I mean, how did they wind up uh, getting themselves out of Jerusalem and over here in a place like Babylon?
1: Right. Well, going back to uh, the judges and, and King Saul and David, God always wanted his people to rely upon him to be allied with him and not their pagan neighbors hmm. well the we enter a period where um the king of uh, the Judean king is is making unholy alliances with hmm. Egypt and and so when Egypt gets conquered uh they turn on Egypt's allies hmm. and so the uh the the Babylonian king conquers Jerusalem. And, uh, he's brilliant though. Instead of just, instead of just conquering the people, um, he takes the best of the best and, uh, he imports them. He deports them from Palestine and imports them into, uh, Babylonia. And, and he uses, he uses that to, to kind of give, uh, uh, sort of a hybrid vigor to uh, his people, but also to uh, his his royal court.
0: So, so yeah, so he has basically plundered. I mean, there's some mention here in the passage that he plundered the holy artifacts of the temple right. and brought them back because they wanted those those types of riches back in Babylon and offering to the Babylonian God, mm-hmm. and but it isn't just the, the riches that he plunders of gold and silver. He also plunders the riches of the people, mm-hmm. taking their very best, uh, which is an interesting conversation probably for another day, but I know many people in our day and age, especially, there's a, a very well-known Kentucky writer who is uh, a very nationally respected, and he bemoans this for universities themselves and how they plunder small towns. Uh, I myself come from a small town. So many of my other friends who I grew up with who went away to college never went back. Uh, they, they, they stayed away. And so uh, they're, you know, this type of plundering, again, that's another conversation, a little bit of a different issue, but still uh, it's interesting. You still see uh, universities, big places of learning, taking some of the best and brightest and putting them to service in, in their own work. And so, you know, talk to us a little bit more about this college scene, because this is really, they're going here and they're not just kind of, Hey, you start working today. There's a time of preparation for them. What, what else, what else can we see and, and talk about in here?
1: they're they're having to learn a, a new language they're having to uh they're given new names uh i don't know if you remember many years ago there was this uh, uh this t v show called roots about uh african Africans that were brought over you're,
0: you're really showing your age here gene. i know and, i know and, and talking about roots gosh i remember roots i think it was in the the late 1970s uh, absolutely <laughs> miniseries yeah. so uh you all can look it up on wikipedia what what the miniseries roots are though one of the most popular uh, television miniseries of all time i mean in enormous enormous response but go ahead take us back to the 1970s gene um
1: I, I i remember this scene where kutakente who uh is the African, is being given an American name, Toby, hmm. and he doesn't adopt it. And they, they tr- try to make him adopt it. They try, they try. And finally, they whip him into submission to where he will, when they ask, what's your name? And finally, he chokes out Toby, hmm. you know. So, you know, compromising there. Well, these four guys are, their names honor God. And uh because that's the nature of Middle Eastern names, they're they're they all honor the god and the god that they honor is the subject of the sentence that becomes their name. Hmm. So they're given new names and they honor Babylonian gods. Hmm. So when we talk about Shadrach, Meshach and uh Oregano, um Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. All right, when we talk about those yeah. three guys, yeah. they're using their Babylonian names there in that third chapter, yeah, of uh, of Daniel. So they're they have a new language, they have new names, they're given new clothes, so that when Shadrach and those guys come out of the furnace, it says there was no smell of smoke on their trousers. Jewish guys don't wear trousers, Mm. but Babylonian guys do, okay? So, they're adopting uh, the look, the names, the culture, they're having to learn things that they don't agree with
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, spiritually, but that is part of their university program.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the story you're talking about in Daniel three of the the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not oregano, but but uh, when those three there, but let's going back to chapter one. It's clear they're willing to take on certain things. I mean, they they adopt these names, and and to a certain extent, uh, they they certainly take on the learning and literature of the surrounding. They said, hey, we're going to learn the literature. We're going to read the things of this. We're going to take in the cultural artifacts, understand them very, very clearly. But but there seems to be some things where they draw a line, uh, such as the food. People talk about the food. People still do Daniel diets and Daniel fasts and whatnot. What is it about the food? Why do they stop at the food? Food, do you think
1: yeah well i think that i think this is where in their relationship with god i think the lord led them to understand that everything they were doing was external it wasn't really them it was all external but there was one thing that they could do and that was to to see if they could control what they consumed what they ate and and for them to do it in a distinctive way that identified we're doing this because we don't want to pollute ourselves, we don't want to defile ourselves, we want to fly our flag hmm. and say there's something about us that's, that we internalize that makes us different and, and reminds us at every single meal that my identity is, is in Yahweh. My identity is in the Lord. My identity is not with these people. I am citizens of the Lord's country.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They they could have eaten kosher. This was really still an option. Most scholars that that I have read don't think it was necessarily because they didn't feel like they could eat from the king's table and honor God in some strict religious sense. Uh, it seems like it could have been possible for them to do that. But for whatever reason, th- these men chose to honor God by flying their flag in this way. And, and as a side note on these men, a recent archaeological dig uncovered King Jehoiakim's name and his five sons on a tablet there. So we, what we're talking about here is we are actually talking about historical people that historical artifacts show lived in this certain time and place. They were flying their flag in that culture. These people were, Jehoiakim and his sons weren't, but, but Daniel and his friends were. These are real people in a real place in time in history, and they were doing this and so, I suppose the question becomes for us is that that 's what it looked like for them to fly their flag as you talk about gene but but let me ask this first before we get into how do we do that in our time, why do we do that? Why was it important for them to do that? Why is it important for us to to do that?
1: yeah, I want to describe what these four guys are doing as creative civil disobedience. Hmm as creative obedience to God. Hmm. That's hmm. what they're doing. They 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 can't control so many things in their lives. They can't control what they study, they can't control uh what they're called, they can't control what they're wearing. <laughs> they can't control where they are, but they can control uh what they consume and they pick that as this is this is the one thing that I'm going to do that's going to remind me three or or four times a day if they have second breakfast of <laughs> uh, this is this this is an act of worship
0: yeah we all have spiritual add every single one of us where we need to be rem- reminded one of the most repeated commands in scripture is to remember 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 because we're so apt to forget and so eating a meal in in this fashion re- multiple meals a day would remind them I am the Lord's, I am the Lord's, I am the Lord's. Again, not something they were forced to do, but something they kind of picked in their lives to say, Mm -hmm. this is where I'm going to draw this line to remind myself that by this practice, I am the Lord's. So beyond just the why then, let's get into the how. How do we flesh this out in a place like UK? Let's, Let's fast forward 2,600 years from then to now. How do we begin to flesh this out in our current setting?
1: Yeah. Um, I think for me personally, it, it's it's having a daily quiet time. It's having mm-hmm. a, a daily mm-hmm. time that I open the Word, that uh, I go to the Lord in prayer. This is a time that reminds me that I belong to Him, that He belongs to me, and that He is going to provide for me that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, at one time I had a roommate, and uh, when I was in college. <clears throat> And I remember him, him saying to me, he said, you've taught me one thing, to have a daily quiet time, hmm. because he saw me every day doing that, and and that was a reminder to him that that he could do that too. Um, when people see you leaving the residence hall on a Sunday morning wearing uh, a little bit nicer t-shirt than usual, <laughs> and you're going to church, again, it's a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, C.S. Lewis did this. As soon as he became a Christian, he started going to chapel at at Oxford, Um, not because he he thought it was uh, a wonderful, aesthetic, uh, spiritual experience, but because he wanted to be identified as a Christian, and this is one of the things that Christians ought to do.
0: Yeah, it's just soul shaping. Continuing to put yourself in practices that remind you, that remind body and mind. It reminds all of you that that I belong to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these these practices are are totally formative. You know, I think it's one of the things that's interesting is we studied Daniel one this week. But two of the most well-known stories in the Bible are Daniel 3 with, as we alluded to earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three friends of Daniel's, who are in the fiery furnace, Mm -hmm. and they walk out unscathed. And then you fast forward uh, just a couple more chapters into Daniel 6, and Daniel's in the lion's den because he's refused to bow down and worship the idol. He said, God is my only true God. What do you think Daniel 1, how does Daniel 1 set up Daniel 3 and Daniel 6 of these two famous stories? Because Daniel 1, a lot of people don't know. Oh, they decided to to eat a little differently. But a lot of people do know Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. I would say, and I'd be curious if you would agree with this, that without Daniel 1, we don't get Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. And not just because it comes first. We just don't get those other stories. Would you agree with that and why?
1: The character that these guys are building... uh in in uh saying no to certain aspects of their food in working with uh the their supervisor you know they didn't just say hey we're 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 going on a, a fast here no they said would you work with us would you test us give us the veggies and and see how we look give us 10 days and then compare us with the other use." so they're it's it's a respectful they're being respectful of authority they're doing their assignments but they're also picking one thing that is distinctly Christian, that is distinctly Jewish for them. Without doing that, without building that character during those three years, you would not have those three guys being faithful in the furnace. You would not have Daniel being cast into the lion's den. And and it's during these three years of college, quote-unquote, that these four men are building their habits. Mm -hmm. And after these three years, these spiritual habits are building them.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I remember you always used to say that and stuck with me for so long that in college you make your habits, after college your habits make you. Um, and while there's always room for God's grace to show up in your 20s and 30s and 40s and beyond, it, it certainly it does become hard. There's a momentum that gets built up, mm-hmm. and, and so that is so good. You know, I, I think too, Gene, that uh, one of the things I love uh, about this passage as well is for students that they need to see that study can equal worship. Mm-hmm. That they were faithful to study. I think a lot of times we think, well, man, I I've, I've got to do church type stuff if I'm reading my Bible or reading the the latest hot Christian book, then I'm I'm worshiping God, I'm honoring God. But but honoring God can be sitting down and learning your biology really well so that you can be a good doctor or studying your accounting so you can be a good accountant or whatever it is that God's called you to. This is actually worship. That that God accepts this and and takes it as man, you are using the gifts I've given you. When you worship, you use your voice, you use other, you know, you're bringing together a lot of things when you worship through song, but you can worship through your studies as well. And I think you see that with these guys as well. That's part of their character.
1: Worship is looking at the world that God made and seeing it from his perspective. Yeah, I can remember being uh, in the library studying biology as a college student, and and, uh, my eyes becoming wet as I'm studying the semicircular canals, which are placed in the three the three dimensional spatial relation relationship in our, in our heads, and those semicircular canals tell us where we are in orientation to the Earth's gravity, as well as movement. Mm. And I I realize God does not want me to fall on my face. Mm, yeah. God I, I, built me in such a way, and it was a worship experience. Biology was a worship experience for me.
0: One of the other things that I think that I'd, I'd want to hit before we get out of here is this whole thing of inconveniencing yourself, so to speak, but doing so in such a way that it allows God to, to really speak into your life. A friend of mine in college actually was a friend of mine's girlfriend, and I remember one time, and this has been 25 years ago now, she told me, she said, I'd never take the best parking spot because I think my grandpa might need that parking spot when she's at a at a mall or at mm. a Walmart or wherever it is. And she said, I don't do that. And I just, without really telling anyone, I suppose I'm confessing it to all our podcast listeners here, I adopted that practice of just saying, I'm not going to take the best parking spot because my... Grandma may need something or someone who hasn't been blessed with legs that work in the same way mine do that they might need it and while that is very small and that is in uh, one day one time doesn't do a whole lot at the end of the day and give that those types of practices years to unfold in your life you really start to de decenter and I love this expression decenter yourself in fact there's a the little piece I read recently from a essay by a guy named R.R. Reno and it's called how to stay a Christian in college and he says this he says Make small sacrifices. Make a vow to wake up and go to breakfast every morning, even if your first class isn't until 11 a.m. Choose a plain cheese pizza rather than pepperoni. You'll be surprised how these tiny sacrifices work in interior magic, shifting your focus ever so slightly away from yourself. And once you're a little bit to the side... God can come to the center. And mm-hmm. I think you see this perfectly illustrated with these guys. They said, "Hey, we're going to take food. We're going to put it we're not going to put our uh, eating pleasure at the center of our lives, even though there'd be no sin necessarily in doing so. We're going to sacrifice because we want God to be at the center of our lives. If we get ourselves out of the center, then God can take his place."
1: Yeah. It's interesting the the story about that you mentioned the parking spot. You heard that from a college student because you were part of a fellowship of Christian college students.
0: Yeah, that's right. Community. The,
1: the Lord does not send Daniel into this situation without giving him three friends. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, those friends are a gift. They stand together.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, the story of Eric Little is a modern story that for so many people, if you know, the story exemplifies so much of what we're talking about in this story. And, and I'd love to close with us talking a little bit about that.
1: Eric Little qualified, uh, to be on the British, um, Olympic team in, uh, 1924 for the Paris Olympics. And, uh, he was the son of, uh, missionaries. He was, uh, uh, as a college student he would go from to church to different churches and 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 share his testimony and preach and he was known as a very very strong christian well one of the heats for the 100 meter dash that was his event um was on sunday and he refused to run on the sabbath god hath not made the sabbath for sport <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, he's, um, he would, he would have won the event. I mean, he was world-class. He had the fastest time. He would have won that event. Uh, so he's disqualified. But, uh, another runner, uh, opens up a 400 meter event and everybody thought, oh my gosh, you know, if he's just trained for the hundred meter, the 400 meter, he'll, he'll crash and burn, uh, but he started out in that race. It was wasn't held on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Starts out the race and he he's in the lead and he's in the lead all the way to the tape mm-hmm. and wins his gold medal. A year later, he's in China as a missionary. He could have mm-hmm. stayed. He could have stayed in, in England and, and basked in the glory. Absolutely, yes. done anything he wanted to do. But he God had his call. Catacall on his life
0: mm.
1: while he's um while he's in china as a missionary the japanese invade and uh he got his family out back to canada or england and uh but he stayed because he thought that he could get out later and he couldn't so he's put in a sort of a concentrated camp with all the other europeans and um uh, they only had one day for recreation, and uh, so they asked Eric Little to to do the games for, for the kids, uh, for the youth that were also interred in this camp, and he says, no, not on the Sabbath, but then he realizes after that first Sunday that it was disastrous, and the kids were not being taken care of. Next Sunday, Eric Little's in charge. So he hmm. he 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 knew the he knew where to draw the line and he was creative about his obedience, just like these four men.
0: Yeah, the, the the line was the the ultimate point was not to create some artificial line. The ultimate point was obedience to God and how do you express that.
1: And and glorifying him there. I want to add one more thing, if I may, the the excellence that these four guys had in their studies is is so distinctive, and in college we have the opportunity uh, to do the very best that we can. and I, I really think that 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 going to class honors the Lord. I think going to class honors the teacher and uh, doing everything we can to to make good grades, even if we don't like the subject, or even if the subject is teaching us something that um, we may not agree with. Uh, I, I just, there is something about excellence that God can use. And He, um, and Daniel and his friends would not have progressed in that civil government and been the kind of witness that they were in chapter 3 and chapter 6 of Daniel unless they'd been faithful in their studies in chapter 1.
0: Well, Gene, great, great story, great points. And I hope this conversation here really helps you all to form and have great conversations in your M group. Look forward to being with you all next week, and we'll hope to see you soon.